All right, and I'm gonna do the slideshow thing. All right, so hopefully you guys can see it. So, let, so let's go through this pretty quickly. So, okay, so my name is Darren Joseph, as I mentioned before, and I'm with HGA.tax. Now we operate internationally, we operate in quite a number of jurisdictions. So in Asia, we're under the brand name Moore's Rollins. Mose Roland, Mose Roland Tax Consultants in Asia. We use Advanced American Tax in some jurisdictions and et cetera, et cetera. So we're a member of this, uh, of a, a network and that's how we connected to Augusto and, and his team. So that that's kind of like the, the loose infra, uh, legal framework kind of, okay. I'm actually based in Singapore. I do spend a fair chunk of my time in Portugal. But, you know, I practice what I preach. You know, Singapore is just one of those really uh, attractive jurisdictions from a tax perspective. And it will look kind of silly if I'm advising you guys about structuring your affairs globally. And I don't do it myself, right? So, hey, uh, in next year will be 10 years that I'm actually in, in, I'm calling Singapore my home. So this is who I am. So providing some sort of context and the basis upon which I'm able to, well, to sit here today and have this conversation with you. So I'm an IRS enrolled agent. So I have been admitted to practice by the Internal Revenue Service in the US. So my license is across all states, uh, federal tax, you know, transfer taxes, gift tax, estate taxes. So, I'm, I mean, we do US, we do US in particular, but we do international tax in general. So like earlier this morning, I was dealing with someone asking questions about Holland to Portugal, you know, so we, international in general, U.S. international in particular. Of course, with that comes a disclaimer, we have a license, blah, blah, blah. With, this is not advice. Here's what I'm hoping that you guys take away. I'm hoping that at the end of this conversation, you are equipped with key concepts and key tools that you're going to take to your advisors and have a more meaningful conversation with them. So this is not the, I mean, nobody can, I mean, the U.S. tax code is what, 70,000 pages, 8 million words, right? And that's a federal level. You have state level, then you have Portugal. No one's going to teach you everything in one go, right? But hopefully you'll walk away equipped with certain key tools. And so you'll have a more informed conversation. So again, this is not meant to be advice. Just putting it out there, right? So these are the sections given the, the demographics of the RSVPs that Anne shared with us. So I'm just gonna jump around to four of the jurisdiction, three of the jurisdictions, sorry. And then we will drill into Portugal because clearly that's where the, the, the greatest curiosity is. You know, People wanna understand between Portugal and US, which is fair because the other jurisdictions are more or less seasoned uh, in that the rules haven't varied that dramatically, but Portugal has had some big changes recently. So that whole Portugal-US relationship, people were still trying to figure it out. So, so that's fair enough. So uh, my, uh, my head of US tax compliance is Ronnie, and this is Ronnie, he's ex-JP Morgan, and, and he runs the, uh, the team that actually does the, the compliance. So I came up with this, what I think to be a cool acronym, right? BESD, do your best right? And I hope this provides, again, this provides context, this provides a useful framework for you to think uh, and for you to remember what your responsibilities are as a U.S. taxpayer abroad. So B, 
bank accounts, what does that mean? It means that ever since, and this is not new, right? This is since 1917, 1971, the Bank Secrecy Act. Anybody that's US exposed, so this is individuals as well as legal entities, corporates, part of your responsibility is reporting to the IRS, not to the IRS, but reporting to the Treasury Department what accounts do you have outside of the US? So any account that you have or can control, which means any account you can sign for. So it may be that you have a company, you're working, you're an employer, you're an employee, and your employee bosses have lots of trust and faith in you and you have, or you're senior enough in whatever organization you're in and you can sign. That needs to be reported as well. So any account that you can sign for, there's some thresholds that if you want to get into that, we can, but basically you want to think of, I have bank accounts, I may need to be reporting them and as well as other financial accounts. So that may include like foreign retirement funds. It may include brokerage accounts, uh, mutual funds, anything that's considered a financial account outside of the US, you may want to think about reporting it. So that's B, bank account. E, estimated taxes. Obviously, when you were in the US, you may have been paid on a W-2 and there's withholding, right? So the tax comes out on your payslip and you saw it, right? Now that you're outside of the US, that may not necessarily be the case. And But bear in mind that the IRS does not like to wait until the end of the year and then get their money. They want to get their money along the way. So typically, uh, good discipline would be to follow an estimated tax payment schedule. And that will typically involve making four quarterly payments. So that'll be April, June, September, following January. And once you make that, you should be able to avoid the underpayment penalties that come with not making those payments on time. State tax issues. A lot of people think, you know what? Hey, I'm no longer in the U.S., so I don't need to pay state taxes. Well, sometimes you do. Obviously, there's state source income. So, for example, you have a rental property, you rented your home out. But under certain circumstances, uh, you even though you do not reside in the state, you may trigger tax residency. So an example would be if it is that you still have a home that may be unoccupied and it's not being rented out, there's no Airbnb, there are no tenants in it. And it's still there available for you to use, depending on the state, it may still trigger a, ta uh, a tax residency or a state tax domicile. So there are strategies that we work with our clients for severing state domicile with assuming that you're in one of the most states do have a state income tax and helping you to think about re-domiciling to one of the eight states without an income tax. So like Nevada, Wyoming, Texas, Florida, Alaska, whatever the case may be. So that, that's a conversation we have. Something to keep in mind. Otherwise, you need to make sure that state taxes are paid. We've had so many cases of people living, living abroad, and then at some point in time, they return to the US and they're faced with a huge state tax bill. Because remember that federal and state speak to each other. So you may think they don't know what you're earning, but the IRS does report to the franchise tax boards uh, what your earnings and activities are. So keep that in mind. Last but not least would be your transfer taxes. Gift taxes, and I know it's a bit of a morbid topic, but it's state taxes as well. So when you're, when you're overseas, you know, depending on your, your status, your situation, you may, it typically happens you get into a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, foreign spouse, and there may be a transfer of assets back and forth. 
Now, if you were both US citizens or more specifically US domiciled, and domicile is a very specific definition that we can get into if there's interest, then there's unlimited uh, spousal gifting. But once one of your one spouse is not a US person or not US domiciled, then you, it's something you need to think about. Uh, transfers of assets back and forth may trigger gift tax return. Now, what I want you to take away from this is that US international tax is way different from US domestic taxes in one important way. What way is that? When you're in the US, the emphasis is on paying your taxes, you know, just get that money in, pay them what they owed, and everybody's going to be happy. With international taxes, it's less an issue of paying taxes and more an issue of reporting transaction, reporting assets, reporting investments. How do, how do I know that? How, on what basis am I telling you this? I'll tell you what. The basis is just look at the penalties. If you do not report a gift, for example, the penalty could be up to 30% of the unreported gift. If you did not report uh, a financial account, the penalty could be 50% of the balance of the maximum balance in that account per year, plus jail time. So in other words, the penalties for not reporting are really aggressive and much more punitive than for not paying taxes on time. So please keep that in mind. So that, that's the framework. Do your best, consider these four things, and you're on the road to staying on the safe side of the IRS. Now we're gonna talk about uh, anyone that's in the UK. And I have Weldon and we have Mikhail in London and they deal, they're the front line in dealing with UK exposed uh, clients. Now the UK is the, I mean, they are the granddaddy of tax havens, right? I mean, everyone thinks Switzerland, but when you really add like the Channel Islands, uh, you know, Jersey Isle of Man, then you add the overseas dependencies like Cayman, Bermuda, and you add all those guys, uh, BVI, that's way more, that's, that's way, way more than, than, than Switzerland. So the UK through London has a way, has a, a network of tax, of tax friendly jurisdictions, which makes the UK super, super, super attractive. And one of the key tools in your arsenal, if it is that you are in the UK as a US exposed person to consider is a trust. Remember the, you know, according to folklore, uh, the, the England invented the concept of a trust. It, it dates back to the Crusades when uh, people of noble birth would go to fight wars on behalf of Christendom. And they don't want to end up like Robin Hood. So when they return back home, someone's stolen all their stuff, right? So the way around that was to make sure your assets are being managed or you, you hand over your assets in trust to someone else. And, and that's, that's, that's where the concept came up. So one of the key tools you have at your disposal would be trust structures. And then the UK has this very attractive uh, concept of, of domicile from a tax perspective. So you can be tax resident in the UK, but not tax domicile in the UK. And what does that mean? It means that you'll only pay tax on income that is UK sourced. Anything that 
is outside of the UK would not be taxed in the UK unless it's remitted to the UK. So in other words, you can elect to pay tax on the remittance basis. And that is a huge tax planning opportunity because when you look at the UK versus the US, it depends on your situation. Yeah, I know one size doesn't fit all, but normally the UK is gonna be the higher tax jurisdiction. And that when you look at the ladders, you know, the tax brackets, you jump into the higher tax brackets way more quickly than you would in the US. So the average person, the UK tax bill is going to be higher. So in terms of the planning and strategizing, it's really around the UK side. So the, these, again, these are some of the, the, the concepts that you want to think about. You want to think about uh, the remittance basis versus the rising basis. And you want to think of ways of protecting your your non-UK based income sources from UK taxation. So these are the key concepts to walk away from, to walk away with and engage with your preferred advisors. Mexico, we heard that there were some RSVPs from Mexico. So we do live streams on um, Mexico US taxes pretty regularly as well. We have one coming up next week with Carlos. So we have a lot of, quite a few clients in Mexico that run their own businesses, right? So they're running businesses remotely. They are entrepreneurs, they're investors. They're, some of them are into crypto as well. So what I want you guys who may be business owners as well and are living and working outside of the US, I want you to think about the CFC rules. What are those? Those are the control foreign corp rules. The US has very specific control foreign corp rules that, that date back to the 1950s and 60s with something called subpart F and into the 1980s under President Reagan, we had PFIC rules. And as recently as 2017 under President Trump, we had the guilty rules. But basically what it means, uh, we can get into that in detail if there's an appetite for it, but essentially what that speaks to are uh, rules that prevent you from deferring, recognizing your corporate income on your personal tax return. Because normally all things being equal, your company is a separate legal person from you with rights and responsibilities of its own. As Steve Jobs found out, your company can fire you, right? So it's separate from you. And typically you would only pay taxes, personal taxes on what is extracted from the company, whether it's in the form of wages or in the form of dividends, right? Once it comes into your person, then you're gonna declare that somewhere in your 1040 and you're gonna pay taxes on it. That's normal, right? But with those CFC rules, if that is triggered, then the IRS doesn't wait for there to be any distribution from the company. The IRS has certain mechanisms and calculations for assuming that, hey, you're gonna, you, that you somehow benefited or there's a deemed distribution from the company on into, even though you didn't get it. So in, in other words, it can create cash flow issues for some people because you're gonna be paying taxes on money that you didn't really get. So there's some planning that is possible and that may be necessary if you find yourself in a situation like that. So let us know. Of course, there are management and control rules, which means that, hey, you are running that company, even though it's incorporated in whatever jurisdiction back in the US, LLC, C Corp, S Corp, somewhere else offshore, bear in mind that many jurisdictions have management and control rules. What does that mean? It means that, even though the company may be incorporated in the US, if it is that you live in Mexico, that company may be deemed to be a Mexico company. Why? 
because management and control is being exercised from Mexico. Similarly, in Portugal, whatever jurisdiction you're in, keep in mind that even though your company is incorporated somewhere else, it may be deemed to be tax resident in the jurisdiction in which it's managed and controlled from. So that's, that's a conversation you need to have with your, your preferred advisors. France, we, we do uh, live streams in France as well. We have one with Hervé next month. You can join us for a deeper dive into those issues, but just again, key concept, quick wins, quick takeaways for you to, to reflect on and engage your preferred advisor. Uh, everyone has an assurance V, right? It, it is just such a, a popular planning tool from a, a French tax perspective, which is right because when you're dealing with France versus the US, France is gonna be the higher jurisdiction. So when you're optimizing, you're really keeping almost both eyes on France because France French taxes can be so aggressive, pretty high. So, okay, fine. So there are tax planning tools that are available, but bear in mind that they may have consequences from a US perspective. And one of the most common triggers is a lot of those uh, savings plans and retirement plan and some of the, the insurance policies in, in France and other jurisdictions as well, not just France, I'm not picking on France, but in it's really popular in France is that it triggers one of those anti-deferral rules that I mentioned in the previous slide with Mexico. And that's the PFIC rules. So it's what is called a passive foreign investment company. And you may or may not have heard that before. Just to kind of keep it simple, again, even though from a French perspective, it's tax deferred, and it's again, it's not France, the UK has it with ISAs as well, ISAs. So even though it may be tax preferred in France, it is not tax preferred from a US perspective. In fact, you may be hit with mark-to-market rules. So in other words, even though there's no distribution to you, you didn't take any money out, you may be required to report any gains in your structure, any gains inside that policy, any gains inside that fund need to be reported, even though there was no distribution. And that's under the so-called PFIC rule. So uh, I, it gets pretty convoluted, but happy to take a deeper dive into it if that's something you guys wanna do when we get into the Q and A section, right? So it gets, you know, it's it's pretty convoluted. We could talk about whether the PFIC is tainted and then it has to be cleansed and, you know, it, it is pretty involved. But the, the takeaway is if, it is, if it is that you have any sort of uh, collective investment structure or the equivalent like of a mutual fund or an insurance policy with cash in the policy, uh, cash surrender value, any sort of retirement, you need to check with your US advisor to see, hey, is this a PFIC? Because it has special reporting and special tax calculations that need to be done just for those vehicles. Another thing to think about is normally one of the huge benefits of being a US expat is the Section 911 foreign earned income exclusion, which is reported on your 2555, right? But I mean, you know, that's like the go-to. It moves up with inflation, but this year it's like 110,000. As you're doing your returns for this year, the, so for 2021, 2022 for 2021, it's like the first 110,000 or so of, of your income is shielded from US taxes. And that's, it feels like a no brainer, right? But when you're in a high jurisdiction like France, you may want to second guess that, why? Because sometimes it may be better 
to actually just use your foreign tax credits because you'll have so much foreign tax credits from paying taxes in France that you don't want to waste that. You may be actually better off using foreign tax credits and not claiming the foreign income exclusion. So just something to think about and, and you know, to take away and engage your advisors on. Last but not least, there is Portugal. And I know everyone is uh, representing Portugal here today. So Augusto and I have done so many live streams. We have uh, spoken to thousands of people and fielded hundreds of questions. So we were talking uh, before this, this, this Zoom call. We're thinking, hmm, do you think it's possible that someone can ask us a question that we have not asked and answered before? So that's a challenge to you guys. See if you can ask us something that, you know, just to kind of keep us on our toes. And, you know, and, and, it, and we feel good about that because when you come with something hard and we're able to help point you in the right direction, you know, we feel good. You know, it feels good that we've, we've, we've helped. We've helped people to learn and to, to save money in their taxes, right? Which is all good. So some, the NHR, there's a, a lot of confusing information online, as you know. And the, the, as to what is excluded and what isn't excluded, I guess the takeaway is really that it is very, very nuanced. And it's not like uh, res non dom in Ireland and the UK or, you know, the Beckham rule or the Beckham law in Spain or the 30% ruling in Holland where you could kind of like more or less say, well, all my foreign income is going to be excluded. I'm good. Only my Portugal. No, not exactly. Some, uh, you know, depending on what your, your structure and what uh, and how you have invested over the years, uh, some of your international or non-Portugal income can be pulled into the Portugal tax net. So again, planning is necessary. There are tools, there are structures to help you tax optimize. Uh, you know, quite common would be for those who have securities income, for example. Uh, we've seen some clients take advantage of Malta and Cyprus. So to legally avoid and to, to, to minimize the tax, because right now you'll be paying 28% on that securities income to Portugal, you can bring that down by using certain structures. I've seen clients do the US returns first and then hand them to the Portugal tax advisor. Uh, you know, once I hear that, I'm thinking, oh, oh, double tax, double tax. Why? Because depending on the nature of your income, right, Portugal may not give a tax credit for what was paid in the U.S. So it makes sense to either to consider the Portugal return first or even better, bring them under the same roof so that advisors that know each other and talk to each other and aware of the rules on both sides, when they're working together, that's how you get to tax optimize. But once you know they're working in silos or one person is doing it and handing it to the other, I, I, I've, we've seen complications this season as a result of that. So uh, that's it. That, that's, you know, that's my general kind of like introduction to the whole space. Now, I, I saw Gary ask a question about what happens after 10 years, right? And we, you know, Augusto and I were talking about this before. So Augusto, do you, do you want to give your perspective? Because obviously Augusto being a Portugal ta tax lawyer, he understands how things were when the NHR was first introduced. 
and the and people are coming up to the 10 year anniversary right now so Gaso, do you want to comment on that uh sure uh, there just just uh, i missed the 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 presentation so uh, just uh, um for completeness i am not actually a tax lawyer i'm a tax advisor <laughs> so in portugal we we must be careful with with the expression lawyer it's not the case <laughs> but um as you mentioned so uh, uh first first I, I would just of course like to thank the american club of of Lisbon for organizing and thank a special thanks to to, to Darren uh, for inviting me and it's a pleasure to contribute for for this discussion. So uh, uh, as you, as Darren mentions, we are now uh, uh, starting to see uh, some uh, situations where the ten year uh, period of the NHR regime is ending for some taxpayers that opted for this regime in the first years of its uh, application. So um, uh, the, the, in, in general terms, we know that the regime is not renewed. So from uh, uh, the 11 here in Portugal, uh, uh, the, the taxpayer will be subject to the general rules applicable to what we call standard taxpayers here. And uh, uh, it is what it is. So <laughs> after the 10 years, it's up to the taxpayer uh, to opt to continue uh, living in, in being tax resident in Portugal or should choose other jurisdiction. <laughs> hmm. Okay, fantastic. Thank, thanks for that. And it is, you know, it, I've seen it. This is a lively, that is a, an important question. And I'm glad that, that Gary raised it because, you know, obviously we, pay attention to uh, you know some of the discussions in various forums and in one particularly popular forum i wouldn't say which one it is but it's been a, a hot topic like what's going to happen in 10 years and people uh have different ideas but you know to gus's point it's non-renewable so you know that kind of basically limits your options either you you, you stay or you leave so but anyway uh looking through so Julian is asking, will this live stream be shared online? Anne already replied, Anne is saying that she will, it's being recorded already. She's gonna edit the video and post it on YouTube and on all platforms. So uh, watch this space, Anne is gonna make it available. Uh, okay, next question. Uh, again, if you, if you have questions, feel free to, to post them below. If I decide to lose my American, so Juliet is asking, if I decide to lose my American citizenship, do I continue to receive uh, pension and social security? Okay, that, that, that's a, an important question as well, because obviously, you know, we, we speak to a lot of American expats in Portugal. And to be fair, that is their plan. That is their plan. They want to do their five years or six years or whatever it is, and they want to get a Portugal passport, and then they will renounce and remain either in Portugal or somewhere else within the EU. And, you know, even if you want to travel outside of the EU, Portugal is a, a, a powerful travel document. And whenever you're looking at a list of the top 10 passports in the world, Portugal is going to be there. It's going to be there. So it's a pretty powerful travel document, right? So, uh, 
in terms of giving it up, let, let's talk about that a bit. Uh, let's let's talk through that process. Once you, we we help probably three to four clients every month give up their U.S. passport or green card. So this is a process that we're pretty familiar with. You can be normally there is no exit tax. I know people ask a lot about the exit tax. Assuming that you do not trigger what we call covered expat status, then no, you're not going to be subject to an exit tax. And you trigger covered expat status if your net worth is in excess of $2 million uh, or if you'll, the, the, your tax liability for the five years preceding the expatriation or the surrender of your green card is in excess, the, the number moves up with inflation, but let's say $170,000, $175,000 per year. So you're basically looking at that high net worth, high income earning individual that will be subject to the uh, exit tax. Of course, we do pre-expatriation planning with our clients because there are some ways that you can legally reduce and that, that tax burden, if not eliminate it completely. So it's worth having that conversation. Under the previous regime, you may have been subject to still being taxed by the US for eight or 10 years afterwards after surrendering, but that is no longer the case. You would probably need to pay uh, taxes on any US source income. So like if you still have rental properties or if you have any sort of deferred payments coming out of the US, like deferred compensation plans, but otherwise that's it, you're done. Okay, so will you consider to receive your pension? Yes, you can, right? But of course, many people don't let their broker or whoever's holding the pension fund, whichever platform you're using for the pension fund, you're supposed to actually let them know that you're no longer a US person because then they make payments and they give you something called a Form 1042S and you know you, you may need to file a return to get a partial refund, et cetera, et cetera. But so the, the point is that yes, you will still receive your pensions, uh, but it may be subject to special withholding. So again, there's some planning around that because depending on the jurisdiction you're in, there may be some treaties that you can invoke to get a partial refund on that withholding or a full refund. So there's, you know, there's a conversation and there's some planning opportunities with that. But generally speaking, yes, you're gonna get your pension, but it'll be subject to withholding. As for social security, that may be a different case. Uh, again, this is not something we deal with pretty often the social security side, because most of our clients don't really depend on it, but you may be prepared, you should be prepared to lose your social security. So that's, you know, again, you probably just wanna have a conversation with an advisor on that, but you, that is a distinct possibility that you may lose social security if it is that you surrender passport and green card and or green card and you stay outside of the US. So, okay. Next question. Are there any changes to IRS form 5471 this year? So John is asking about 5471. For those who are not familiar, so if it is you have uh, an interest in a foreign company, or so i.e. a company outside of the US, that's reportable on the form 5471. And if it's a foreign partnership, it'll be 865. If it's a foreign trust, that's another one that's 3520. But the 5471 would be for foreign companies. 
Now, as to whether there've been any changes, not that we're aware of, there were some big changes in 2017 around uh, with the tax cut and jobs act under President Trump. So there's some huge changes under that, which I guess if you've been filing this for a while, you should be aware of. But as for now, for 2022, looking at 2021 returns, no, there've been no changes. But that is a very important form because failure to report a 5471 or to report it late is uh, $10,000 per year. And, we, and don't think the IRS is afraid to, to levy that, that, that penalty. We have seen it. We've seen clients for submitting it late or for forgetting, in addition to which it may extend the statute of limitations on your return. So those informational uh, forms are super important. And they're a, a bit complex depending on which jurisdiction you're in. So you'd want to pay particular attention in putting it together, or you may want to seek advice. So, yeah. Next question. So Kristen is asking, please address reporting of joint accounts and joint property where one spouse is US and the other is non-US. I am American, but my partner is Austrian. We have joint accounts and are joint property owners. We both report and pay very high taxes in Austria, but I do not know how to go about reporting and deductions. Unfortunately, we can't give you a step-by-step -step as to how to report deductions. Sorry, let me just... Sorry, well, that, that's some guys cutting the grass outside. So, okay. In terms of the foreign accounts now, depending on the thresholds, that's definitely reportable on your FinCEN 114 or the FBARs, right? So, which we mentioned previously. That is very, very important because, of course, failure to, to report those accounts may be up to 50% of the, of the value, the maximum value in those accounts. So, that, that's really, really important. Okay. Now, as to whether it's joint, uh, and this is a question that I got as recently as yesterday, you still need to report the full value of the account, even though it's jointly held. You still need to report the full value of the account, unfortunately. Now, you, you would also be aware that in addition to the FinCEN 114, the FBAR, you also have the 8938 or the FATCO form. So that has a different threshold. It's a, a higher threshold, but it, it's similar. It reports similarly as the FBARs. And then people always ask, well, you know, that, that's really confusing. Why am I filling out the same stuff on the FBARs as well as on the FATCO form 8938? And here's the reason. So the FinCEN 114 doesn't actually go to the IRS. It's the IRS has responsibility for collecting it but it actually goes to a department called FinCEN or the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. They both sit under treasury. So within the treasury department, there are a number of units or divisions, the most popular of which is the IRS, but there's also FinCEN. So FinCEN receives the FBARs. If the IRS wants to see it, they need to request it from FinCEN. So that's why around uh, 2010, 2011, 
when the Financial Accounts Tax Compliance, uh, Foreign Accounts Tax Compliance Act, or FATCA, when that was passed, then they took the opportunity to introduce 8938 so that they get a copy of the foreign accounts as well. Now, there are some slight differences. If it is a bank account, uh, a regular bank account, absolutely, it's going to be reported on both. But there are some things that are going to be reported on the FBARs that will not be reported on the 8938. So, for example, again, as I mentioned, if you have signing authority over a corporate account, so you're not the UBO, you're not the ultimate beneficial owner, but you have control over it, so you can sign. Even if it takes two signatures on a check or to initiate a transaction, the point is you can sign. That's going to be on the FBOS, but it won't be on the 8938. In addition to which, if you hold uh, like some, an asset in a structure, so, for example, you have shares in foreign companies that's below the threshold for the 5471 or, you know, certain, uh, for example, real estate. If you hold real estate in a structure, you may need to report that in the, on the 8938 as well. So I, I just want you to be aware that uh, you have two forms to consider, not just the FBARs. And if it is that it's jointly held, you still need to put the, the full amount on, on both. Now, as to the joint real estate, if it's held in a structure, as I mentioned, then yes, it's on the 8938. But if it's just an investment property, then uh, and it's, it's being rented out, it's Airbnb, whatever it is, and there's a yield, there's, there's rental income that comes from it, or maybe you guys sold it, and so they're capital gains, then only your share, so let's assume it's 50-50, then only that 50% share will reflect on your returns, not the entire amount. So hope that helps. Uh, as to your taxes paid in Austria on the, let's assume it's an investment property, then of course that, that's going to be deductible. So, you know, it depends on the nature of the taxes. It may be on the Schedule E itself, or it will be on a Form 1116 depending on, on what it is, but definitely you're going to be deductible and you're not going to be taxed twice. That's an important thing to take away that double taxation only occurs if your tax team under two situations, maybe the tax teams aren't coordinating with each other and they're not speaking to each other, then things might get double taxed or there are very few transactions that may be double taxed at the federal level, but it's more likely to happen at the state level. If it is that you still have residency, you still are tax resident in a given state and that state is going to tax you on your worldwide income. That state may not recognize foreign tax credits. So some, for example, taxes paid in Austria. So then in those situations, yes, you may be double taxed. But again, once you've done proper planning, you know, you, you should be able to legally avoid any double taxation issues. Uh, sorry, not, not form 1114, 1116 is the one with foreign tax credits. Foreign tax credits, 1116. Any other questions? Feel free to type in the box below. Happy to answer them. I, I have one. So, uh, you know, there, there were changes relatively recently. This one is for you, Augusto. The changes relatively recently with the NHR. So previously, obviously, well, most popularly, everyone who speaks about the NHR talks about, hey, big change recently. Pensions used to be tax-free. Foreign pensions, you receive a foreign pension. All good. Tax-free to Portugal. But now it's tax at, at 
ten percent. Could you could you talk us through? Uh, could you talk about that, please? Sure. Basically, uh, the the um, such change uh, was introduced uh, in the law uh, in order to at least uh, uh, <laughs> try to address the concern of other jurisdictions that were, uh, I would say, upset with Portugal because the pension income would be exempt either in the country of source and in Portugal. And the, the, the regime was adjusted and foresees now that the pension income from foreign source is subject to a flat rate of 10%, which is still uh, a good tax rate, but anyway, it's no longer uh, um, exempt or fully exempt. Um, just just um, also an additional comment that has to do with the fact that this, uh, this, this change in the, in the law was introduced in a way that does not uh, um, uh, well, it's not applicable to those who are previously registered as a non-habitual residents in Portugal, meaning that those that were already in the 10-year period still have a, a full exemption for pension income. Um, and, and basically, this is enforced since 2020 for new tax residents since March 2020. And, and of course, this could be a, a, an additional tax leakage for pension income, namely for pension income deriving from private pensions, because those usually under the double tax treaties would only be taxed in the, the jurisdiction where the taxpayer is resident, which in such case would be uh, in Portugal and no, no taxation occurs at the source. Of course, we may have some specific uh, situations uh, in case of US nationals, because there is always special rules in this case. <laughs> we may enlarge on that. Wonderful, thanks for that. Maybe we, can, we have a specific case uh, with respect or a specific question with respect to uh, a pension from, from pension income from the US. Okay, thank you I for know. that. If the, in the Q&A, we have yeah. some additional questions. All right, so let, let's jump through, let's go through them. I see 12 questions. So first one, uh, Julieta is asking, as a non-resident uh, to the US, would, could you still use your US address? Absolutely. Uh, even though I'm in Portugal or Singapore, on my tax return, I use my Florida address. So that, that's absolutely no problem. Basically, it's the address at which the IRS can easily reach you should they need to. That's the address that you're gonna use in your 1040. How can they best get to you? Now, we've had issues with clients using their US address, even though they're abroad, and depending on siblings or parents to forward mail to them, and it doesn't always happen. So just remember that whatever address you need needs to be reliable. You need to be able, this is like urgent stuff. You do not keep the IRS waiting, so yeah. Next question, as a non-resident, I only need to pay federal taxes and not state taxes, correct? We answered that. So normally federal taxes only, but you know, most states are domicile states. 
So there are triggers that can lead, even though you're physically not there, you can still be subject to taxes under certain conditions. So what we propose and what we coach our clients with is, is think about Elon Musk. You use the Elon Musk approach. And what do I mean by that? Basically scorched earth. When he left California to, to move to Texas, he sold everything. No, nothing, 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 because California being one of the, those more aggressive states, you don't want to give them a basis for still taxing you. So we coach our clients on that. You know, you change your voter registration to whatever that new state is. Your, your, you know, your driver's license, your whole mail addresses, everything. You switch that out into one of the eight states without an income tax. And you give your state of origin as little legal footing as possible to still tax you. So that's super important. Uh, you need to speak to your advisor on that to make it happen. Next question, you mentioned a Facebook group where the recording will be shared. Can you share the group link here? That's Anne, Anne mentioned that. Uh, it's, if, you do, if you go to Facebook and you look for the American Club of Lisbon and Anne is the moderator and she, she's the one that's gonna make sure that's gonna happen. So the American Club of Lisbon. Uh, this is one for you, Augusta. How does the regime simplificado work for a person? Tax in Portugal, apparently up to 4%, uh, only 4% up to 200K euro with many deductibles. Can you explain how to go about this? Okay. Uh, with respect to the simplified regime, uh, well, uh, it's no longer simplified. But anyway, I'll try to summarize. <laughs> so the idea of uh, this simplified regime means that as a... a, a a professional or a businessman, you don't need to prepare at the individual level accounting records um, as, as, a, as an entity or a corporation subject to general rules. This means that the profit, the taxable profit, would be uh, uh, calculated based on some uh, assumptions with respect to the costs that are related to the activity. For example, in case of, uh, in general case of service providers, uh, those uh, the, the profits would be only taxable at uh, um, only seventy five percent of the profits would be subject to taxation because there is a deemed uh, um, expenses up to twenty five percent of the turnover which means that the tax would only uh, um, apply to 75% of the turnover. And, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, to have uh, these 25% uh, of deemed costs as a tax deduction, you need to have at least 15% of expenses with your tax identification number that could be allocated to the professional activity. So that's why I mentioned this is no longer that simplified because we actually need some expenses to obtain the full deduction of, the, in this case of the service providers of the 25% uh, of the expenses. So this is just a brief explanation. The professional income or uh, other business income um, from an activity that uh, is subject to this simplified uh, regime is subject to uh, the um, tax rates 
which in case of general or standard taxpayers are progressive rates up to 48%. In case of uh, NHR uh, taxpayers and in case of uh, what we call high value added activities, the tax rate would be uh, 20%, a flat rate of 20%. And uh, I don't know if uh, uh, having this flat rate of 20% and only tax part of the, the, the profits, we achieve the 4%, but it, it's a matter of doing <laughs> maths. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Thanks for that, Augusto. Uh, just going through the questions again, you mentioned PFIC in the friend section, but that's applied elsewhere. You're absolutely correct. All those anti-deferral mechanisms from the IRS, so whether it's Sapata, PFIC, and Guilty, they apply in any part of the world where the circumstances are triggered. It's just that we found that in, in Europe, in, in France in particular, the, this, the assurance vie is just so, so popular and that's just, always triggering PFIX. It happens sometimes in the UK with ISAs, but if it is, you have a cash ISA, it doesn't. So it depends on the ISA. But, you know, in France, it's like any uh, retirement savings plan is going to trigger PFIX. That's why I mentioned it, but you're absolutely correct. It applies everywhere. Next question. Is there an issue using a US traveling mailbox for bank and brokerage accounts? Absolutely not. That, sh that should be part of your state tax planning uh you know you're going to pick as we mentioned before you're going to pick one of those states without an income tax and you you probably want to sit with your advisor and make sure that it's complete and that you give uh if it is that you come from a high tax state or state with a tax and you want to re-domicile to a state without one you just want to make sure that you don't give your former state any basis for still taxing you but yeah, using, uh, uh, there are lots of services. I'm not going to mention any of them because I don't want to be seen as promoting any, but you do a Google and it's just like a whole bunch of them come up and whatever works for you, that's just your personal preference. Yeah. Next one. If after five years you opt for Portugal citizenship and surrender to the U.S., you still pay taxes uh, on retirement distributions. I think we mentioned that before as well. It depends, but you should look to uh, yes. Uh, if if it is you you if it is your retirement plan is is pre tax money. If it is a traditional IRA or four hundred one k, then yes, you, you're going to be looking at U.S. taxes definitely. If, if it's a Roth, mm, it's it's kind of a gray area. But basically, once it is that you identify to your brokerage firm that, hey, I'm no longer a US person, they're supposed to withhold. And then you have a conversation with your US tax advisor as to how that's treated, right? So you can invoke a treaty position and you may be able to get a tax free depending on where you are. Or at least you're gonna get a partial refund on the withholding from, from the IRS. Okay, I hope that helps. Moving down. If you work for a US employer while living in Portugal, who withholds federal or the W-2, do you still have to pay taxes in Portugal? If so, what rate do you currently pay? And is there an offset between the two countries? So I'll answer part of that and hand over to Augusto. So definitely uh, there is an offset. So there are the countries, both jurisdictions. Well, the US does recognize foreign tax credits. It's, it's a bit nuanced. So whatever is uh, 
taxed in Portugal, all, all things being equal, you should be able to offset that against uh, a US liability. So that, that's something to bear in mind. But again, the advisory team that's doing both, they need to speak to each other and they need to coordinate. But uh, Augusto, remote worker in Portugal, working as an employee, so it's a W-2, which means this person is an employee uh, for a US company. What are the implications of that? If the work is developed mainly in Portugal and uh, the work is not developed in, uh, in a, a, a permanent establishment or fixed place in the US, it means mm -hmm. that uh, uh, such income can only be it can can also at least be taxed in Portugal. So uh, mm -hmm. I would say that in, in general cases, uh, it would be an easier solution to try to claim uh, tax credits in the US. Yes, in general terms. Absolutely. There are some situations where, uh, under the double tax treaty, this uh, can, can can be uh, specifically dealt with. But in general terms, I would say. Mm. Yeah. And I want to I want to go back to a point that you made when you first began answering that question: the idea of a permanent establishment. So again, just to kind of develop that, it depends on your the person is asking because it, it pops up for us as anonymous attendee. So anonymous attendee, if it is that you are senior in your company and you are, have the ability to conclude contracts, you have strategic decision-making authority, then you'd probably want to talk to Augusto or someone uh, pretty quickly because uh, as Augusto mentioned, you may have triggered inadvertently or whatever permanent establishment. What does that mean? It means that that US company that is your employer your employer, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about your employer may suddenly have a taxable presence in Portugal. Yeah. And they will be subject to Portugal income tax at the corporate level. Yeah, the management and control rules that you mentioned in the beginning, that's correct. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I, if I were you, I'd try to reach out to oh, whoever, you know, we're not, you know, trying to push, but, you know, you speak to Gasto or someone suitably qualified as soon as possible, just to make sure that, you know, you and your company aren't adversely affected, right? Hope, hope that helps. Moving on. If you're planning to restart to reside in Portugal, what is the deadline for dropping your current fiscal residence? And what tax year does it impact on U.S. tax return? Dropping. Okay, so if it is that you are a U.S. person in Portugal, the, the point is that you're still U.S., you're going to be taxing U.S. income. Uh, you own your worldwide income, even though you no longer live in the U.S. So you can't really drop your fiscal residence. You will always be a U.S. tax resident unless and until you surrender your green card and or passport. So once you do that, then you can have a conversation. Okay, am I free? Am I free? But until you make that, uh, that's a huge step. And we know because we coach clients about three clients three maybe three four clients every month that make that big decision it is huge i know it's huge but that's the only way that's the only way so you are still u.s tax resident even though you live in portugal for a really long time i'm sorry to to tell you that next question raymond is asking the u.s taxes 85 percent of social security with nhr will i pay tax in portugal on the other 15 so social security so this is a government uh retirement payment uh augusto is that how is that taxed here in portugal well if it is a pension that derives from public services it would 
uh, uh, be uh, under the double tax treaty allowed taxation at source in, in the US, which means that in principle we get uh, relief in, 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 in Portugal because uh, um, such, uh, such e e pension income would be subject to taxation in the US only under the double tax treaty. Okay, Raymond, I hope that answers it. So US only, Portugal no, which is good news. Finally, we get to tell you guys some good news, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Pedro... It depends, it depends, it depends always yeah. on the nature of the pension. And, right. Uh, mm. So government pensions are always different from private pension plans. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So Pedro is asking, how do Americans in Portugal report US taxes on this sole proprietary port? on sole proprietary Portugal companies. Okay, so how do you report your Portugal company on your US return? If it is incorporated, it then it's on the 5471, which was mentioned previously. If it's not an incorporation, not a separate legal entity, it's not a legal person in law, you didn't incorporate a body, and it's just, as you say, it's a sole proprietor, then that goes on your Schedule C. On, on your US tax return. So I hope that helps. Uh, Anonymous is asking, please outline the marginal income tax rates in Portugal. I understand the capital gains is 28%. Augusto, marginal income tax rates in Portugal. Okay, so uh, in the specific case of capital gains, uh, which I believe it's the question, the mm -hmm. general uh, tax rate applicable to capital gains, um, is 28% except in case, uh, for example, of capital gains deriving from mm -hmm. sale of real estate, which would be subject to the uh, uh, progressive tax rates up to 48%, depending on the annual level of income of uh, the taxpayer. But uh, um, I, 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 maybe I can, can just take uh, this opportunity because we are yeah. talking about capital gains yeah. to, 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 to let, let you know that uh, with respect to the specific case of capital gains earned by US uh, nationals, mm -hmm. um, there, there was a, a real recent decision of an arbitration of the arbitration court here in Portugal uh, that has to do with the fact that under the double tax treaty between Portugal and the US, uh, there is a, a, a residual uh, clause or additional clause according to which, as you as Darren already mentioned, uh, the US nationals uh, are always subject to taxation on their worldwide income. Basically, this, this rule uh, supersedes all the, the other, all the other rules in the double tax treaty because it mentions uh, the possibility of the US taxing uh, the worldwide income of US nationals. And that, uh, this uh, uh, has been um, uh, the ground for uh, uh, some uh, litigation process that we, at least some that we are aware of, to sustain that uh, uh, capital gains uh, from, for example, foreign securities uh, should be taxed exempt in Portugal under the NHR regime because 
such uh, uh, capital gains can be subject, for example, in this case, in the US uh, by the uh, um, citizenship uh, rule. And then uh, um, in this case, the court decided in favor of the taxpayer and uh, instead of the 28% personal income tax rate that the tax authorities, uh, the tax authorities assess in the capital gains, um, we came to the conclusion that those capital gains are exempt under the NHR, which is a good news. But wow. anyway, uh, this is definitely something that would end up in the tax litigation for now, because this is not the position of the tax authorities in Portugal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, fingers crossed that it, you know, that it continues to get decided in the taxpayers' favor, because that would be a huge win for all of us, right? Okay. <laughs> the, the last question uh from Kristen what happens if you didn't know about filing an 8938 okay so the 8938 is above the threshold of the FBAR so it depends on whether you're single and or you're married or, or whatever but if it is that uh you didn't report it and you're supposed to have reported it and your non-compliance was uh non-willful and non-willfulness has no definition in code so we rely on case law and basically case law tells us it's like if there's an in, if you intentionally avoid a, a known legal duty right so and you, and you and we find it with our clients who have sophisticated structures to you know basically they knew what they were doing when they sought to avoid it but if it is that you genuinely did not know hey oh my god I need to do an 8938. I didn't know that I was supposed to do it to report my foreign investments here in Portugal or France or wherever it is you are, then it's okay. Uh, there's something called the Streamline Compliance Procedure, which is an amnesty in all but name. And it allows you to go back three years. So the last three years, which due date has already passed, and you make the changes to the return and you submit that. Now, it's the 8938 is just a reporting requirement. It doesn't impact on the tax liability, so it should not trigger any additional taxes. But the great thing about Streamline is like with any amnesty, you go forward to the IRS before the IRS comes in and taps and knocks on your door, and they agree to waive all penalties. So that's that's a, obviously a big news story, right? So what I suggest you do is reach out to your preferred tax team. If you don't have one, feel free to reach out to us and we'll be able to walk you through the, the streamlined compliance procedure. So in, in terms of how do you find us, because, uh, sorry, because I live in Portugal. Okay, somebody else is asking. I'm, I'm sorry, John, we, we have to wrap up right now. But uh, in terms of how you reach out to us, you can find us. Uh, my name is Darren Joseph Augusto Polino. We're both on LinkedIn. You can reach out to us on LinkedIn or you can find me and I'm on htj.tax. So just go to htj.tax, super easy. And you can find out to reach me and I can put you in touch with Augusto. Or if you just wanna reach out to Augusto directly, you don't need to talk to me. Then Augusto, how does someone find you directly? Okay, uh, uh, through our site, of course, it's dfk.pt and uh, my email address, which is august.paulin at uh, dfk.com.pt. Wonderful. 
Thank you very much to the Association of American Clubs for allowing us a chance to share our perspective. And thanks for you guys for, for logging in. Um, apologies for the noise in the background, some guys doing some work outside, but thank you for, for, for logging in and for sharing some of your time and asking interesting questions. So we challenged you guys at the beginning, ask us something interesting. And you guys won. You asked us some really fun questions. We appreciate it. Please feel free to reach out if you want to have any further conversations. Have a great evening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.